Mr. Chuck Smith called the total downer psalm. <laughs> That's the alternative title he gave it. A total downer. So if you're looking for encouragement, this is not the psalm to read. And unlike some of the other psalms that start off kind of grim and gloomy, and you know, you see that, that path, that, that journey that the psalmist takes into you know, uh, you know, encouragement and lightness and, and uh, moving out of darkness, the psalm does not do that. It doesn't move into light at all, or praise, or reassurance. It kind of just stays. It's a short psalm. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it kind of stays in, in despair. And, and you know, I, I, as I'm studying this, and, you know, certainly, you know, when we read the psalms, you know, they give us a sense of what the psalmist is going through and, you know, uh, and so we, we think, well, okay, God, why did you put this psalm in here? I mean, you know, not all of Scripture is uplifting and, and uh, encouraging. So I think maybe he uh, included this psalm because he knows that we go through these valleys in our, in our life. He knows that there are times, there are seasons of depression and despair in everyone's life. And I think, you know, there are, some, there are some people, there are some Christians and some ministries that say that depression is a sin, is a lack of faith. Um, but I, I think that if we ask anybody, they've gone through those times, you know. The, the challenge for us is not to stay there, you know, not to remain in that place. And so this is, a, it, it's only 18 verses, so it's, 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 I think the fact that it is a shorter uh, psalm also gives us that sense that this is temporary, you know. It's, it's something that we go through, but it's not something that we need to, that we, that we remain in forever. So um, there's not much here to uh, ex- exposit in this psalm. It's kind of self-explanatory, but we'll go through it and we'll try to pick out, I've, I picked out some redeeming value in it. So let's see if we, we both we were all on the same page on that. So starting in verse 1 and 2. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the chief musician, set to Mahalath Linoth, a contemplation of Heman the Ezrahite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. So... Again, instead of just pointing out all of the despair and the, uh, the sadness in this psalm, I see right away the one thing that gives us hope that the psalmist will get through it and that he won't remain there is that he's still seeking God in prayer. He's still seeking God. He says, I've cried out day and night before you. That's a good thing. You know, let my prayer come before you. He's praying that God will hear him. So again, although you know, we may have these times where we're really in a desperate place, um, the one thing we shouldn't do is forget that God is there for us. You know, we should never get so, so desperate and so depressed that we get to a place where we think that God has abandoned us or forsaken us. And the psalmist 
Here it doesn't do that. So that's, that's a good thing. Verses 3 through 7 continue. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Adrift, from among, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie down in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. So, you can just, the heaviness sort of gets you in those verses, you know. And, the, and his mental state is affecting his physical also. You know, and, and we see the, the opposite in, in the scriptures, that, you know, a solid walk with the Lord will actually produce positive physical benefits in our, in our lives. So, you know, again, you know, the, the lesson here is not to let our, you know, our emotional state or our mental state or our, our depression get to a point where it starts to affect us even physically. In Proverbs 3, 7 through 8, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So here we see that, you know, staying close to the Lord, staying in His Word, will actually, it, it's, it's, you know, and it, even, even secular um, um, sources will tell you that, that people who have a solid uh, religious um, commitment and people who attend church on a regular basis actually are physically healthier, mentally healthier and physically healthier than those who don't. So good, um, good advice here. The psalmist feels like he's going to die. I mean, you could sense the heaviness in those verses and that, and that his depression is just sapping the strength from him. You know, and, and I know we can relate to that. We know the times that we're going through very, very difficult things where we just feel weak. We feel we can't, you know, we can't physically go on. Um, verses 8 through 12 says, he continues with, with this, that same, along those same lines. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So, what the psalmist is asking here with all these questions is, if I die, Lord, how can I praise you? You know, if I feel like I'm going to die, how will I then have a relationship with you? Think about it, though, in the context of the Old Testament, where there was a limited view of eternity, where they didn't have the full picture of the afterlife, where they didn't understand that praise continues for those who are God's uh, children, you know, into eternity. But obviously, they, they had a limited view of that. You know, he felt isolated, I, I isolated and alone. And again, the redeeming feature 
of the psalm is he still calls upon the Lord. No matter how alone we feel, you know, God is always with us. You know, and, and, and he'll never leave us. And so, again, those questions the psalmist is asking because, you know, he, he wants to have that relationship with the Lord. So there's something in him that still senses. There's something in him that still desires, you know, the, the Lord in his life, that he doesn't want to die and, and have that relationship end. And so, again, that the one... The one uh, Light in the in the dark in the darkness of these of this psalm, and then in verse thirteen. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you, Lord. Why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. So, you know, not to belabor it, but he's in a bad place, you know. And and yet, again, the redeeming feature is that he cried out to the Lord. In the morning, his prayer comes before the Lord. You know, imagine... Imagine that. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I'm just having a rough time of it, sometimes the last thing that I want to do when I get up in the morning is go before the Lord. I just don't, you know, you just don't have, you just don't feel like it. You know, and yet he said, in the morning my prayer comes before you. So something for us to to learn from where the psalmist was and, um, and where God wants us, even in those difficult times, always wants that relationship left uh, restored or left intact. So moving on, we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to uh, sort of build it up a little bit here. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 closes the third book of Psalms. Um, it's a psalm of praise for God's covenant relationship with Israel. It's a congregational psalm that expresses the sentiments of the people. And it's a psalm of instruction um, and remembrance for God's faithfulness. And, you know, think about the, the, you know, the third book of Psalms relates to the third book of the Bible, Leviticus, and, and how it's instructive in the way Leviticus was instructive and that it was uh, to be sung probably as part of a worship service, a temple uh, ritual. And so we can relate it to that third book of the Bible. And it also speaks to the fact that God has kept his covenant with Israel. And by extension, he'll keep his promises to us. And he's worthy. He's worthy to be praised because he's, his promises are true. So jumping in in verses 1 through 4, a contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever 
and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. So, the psalmist here begins by worshiping the Lord for his faithfulness. And if we look at these verses, we can see a lot of messianic um, references here. The promises that were made to the house of David could also be applied to the son of David, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1.8, it says, But unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So that same promise made to Jesus was made to David. Verses 5 through 10, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. So, verses 5 through 8, we see the psalmist here contrasting God with everything else. You know, and, and you know, it may sound, it may sound trite or, or, or simple, but if we recognize his awesome attributes, think about everything else, think about everyone else, and it all for, falls short. It all falls short of God. So the psalmist here is just sort of reiterating that, that, that compared to everything, there's no one like you, Lord. No one compares. You know, he's above all. And then in verse 9, we see God's sovereignty over all of creation. You know, you rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. And then verse 10 speaks of his sovereignty over earthly rulers. You know, and Rahab is a name that represents pride and arrogance. Of, of the people and the nations. Even if you look it up um, in the Hebrew, it also can refer to a mythical sea monster. You know how, I mean, think about an arrogant ruler and how, you know, and, and, and how they would, uh, you know, try to overrun the, the people, you know, like a, like a sea monster. And then it's also emblematic of Egypt, you know, who, who held uh, the Israelites in, uh, in slavery. And so that same type of arrogance and pride, and God just breaks them in pieces. God, God's so much more powerful. Verses 11 through 14, it says, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So God here is recognized for his, really his ownership of, of what he created. It's all his. 
And, and I think also what he's saying here is if we get so arrogant and prideful that we think that we've obtained anything or we've attained any position in this world, we need to realize that it's, it's all God's. And whatever we have is because he blesses us with it. And then to be reminded of his perfect nature and character, you know, and, and, his, and his most perfect attributes, and the fact that he's incomparable to any human. I mean, he's so far above us. Think of the four attributes that they mention there in verse 14. Righteousness, righteousness. Again, God exhibits these characteristics perfectly. He's perfectly honest, perfectly blameless, virtuous, and faultless. Does that sound like any person that we know? No, only God. And then justice, perfectly fair, perfectly upright. And, and, that's, and that's only God. Mercy, he completely forgives. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, think of our human relationships and, and those people maybe who have hurt us and how difficult it is for us to completely forgive them. You know, and, and, and never to hold that against them. And yet God does that with those who trust in him. And then truth, perfect honesty and trustworthiness. You know, something that, that man, although he may, he may attempt to, to achieve that, will never have perfect honesty and trustworthiness, but God does. Then continuing on verses 15 through 18, says, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and, to our, and our king to the Holy One of Israel. So, what sound is worth rejoicing of? The sound of the gospel. The sound of the gospel going forth. And that we who are saved walk in the light and should feel blessed. You know, think about how joyful it is to know, to have that assurance of, of eternal salvation. And, and, and that how much joy that should bring us. And the fact that we should walk in, in light because of it. And then, and then he says, early in the morning, he says, uh, your name, in your name they rejoice all day long. Think about just bl- being blessed by him early, going to him in prayer early in the day, and then being able to just speak of his blessings all day long. We can rejoice in him because we've come to him early. And so we start the day in prayer. We start the day in praise. And then we continue throughout the day, you know, just praising him for who he is. Then in verses 19 through 26, God's covenant promises to David and, uh, and his, his fulfillment to them. You know, he keeps his promises. It says, then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arms shall shall strengthen him, 
The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. So God's promises to David and his fulfillment. Remember, he exalted David, who was the least in his, fam- in his family, and he exalted him. He chose him from amongst the people. And then he anointed him as king. And then he strengthened and protected David from his enemies. And then when David was victorious, God received the glory. What does it say there in, in verse 26? He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. That's for us. That when we have victory in this life, that when we've broken through or when we've gotten past those difficult times, that we should give God all the glory and all the honor. He's, he's our Father. He's our God. He's our rock. And He's the one who saves us. Then in verses 27 uh, through 37, it says... Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His, his seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Wow, great verses that speak of God's faithfulness. You know, God is faithful. He says something, it will come to pass. He makes you a promise, He will keep it. And so, and so for us who, who are believers, we know that God will sustain us through anything. So beautiful words there just to just to get us through difficult times that he is always faithful and think about the messianic um, references here you know he's speaking of david but he he's also really speaking of the son of david jesus you know verse 27 says says um i will make him my firstborn colossians 115 speaking of jesus says he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus has that preeminence, that position, the highest position. He exalted him, the Bible says. He has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, that everyone will bow down before him. So we know that God has exalted Jesus, and that's what that firstborn title 
means. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, you know, above all. And speaking of David's seed in verse 28, that Jesus enduring forever and has a heavenly throne. It says um, in verse 28, it says, My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant self shall stand firm with him. So that, that forever of, of Jesus' reign. God's promises we can always rely on. You know, and his promises to bless us. He'll always fulfill. He'll come through. So we have, you know, this psalm speaks of, of just remembering those things. And then in verses 38 through 45, we can again see more of this messianic application. It says, you, but you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all, it, all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with, sh- with shame. Selah. So, now, we look at those verses and we, we know that, you know, it's speaking of, you know, David, you know, the enemies came against him and um, his family was, uh, even came against him. You know, his sons tried to take over rule of the kingdom. So we can see that application. But also, really think about those words you know, um, that he was a reproach. You have exalted his adversaries. You made his enemies rejoice. It sounds like what happened to Jesus. You know, that it, sa- it seems as though, it seemed as though Satan had won. You know, it seemed as though God's name would be put to shame. And if we want to make full application, we can look back at Isaiah 53. Vivian, can you put that up? Think about this in the context of those verses that we just read. Yeah. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Sound? It sounds like the verses we just read in, in, in Psalm 89. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. 
and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus for us. See, that was his plan all along. And it sounds as though he was rejected by God, right? It sounds as though, it sounds as though, you know, God turned his back on his anointed. But if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he took upon him the shame, we could never be saved. So, you know, those things that sound, we have to look at things from God's perspective, you know, and not from our human perspective, so that we see what God did was in order for us to have that relationship with Him and for us to be with Him um, for eternity. So back to Psalm uh, 89, verses 40, 46 through 51, it says, How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What, What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples, with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. So, again, when God's people suffer, it seems like he's forsaken them. It seems like the promises of God go unfulfilled, but we don't see the whole picture. You know, God knows the end from the beginning. We don't see we don't see the lessons that we're learning in a time of despair. We don't see those things that he's teaching us through our difficulties. So it seems as though he's forgotten or forsaken us. But again, God's promises will always be true. So then he ends in a doxology which praises the Lord, even though he doesn't completely understand what God is doing. I, I love the fact that this, that this comes right after the, this doubt, these verses of doubt in the prior verses. It says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. A double amen, along with a, a, a doxology of just praising the Lord. You know, sometimes... There was a lot of there was sort of a lot of complaints in there, in those previous verses, and I think I I sensed the psalmist just saying, just letting out a breath and saying, you know, but blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. You know, it's like, all right, I've I've thrown my complaints out. Now I just remember who God is. Remember that relationship, and. You know, and just and just say, Lord, you're you're awesome. I don't understand everything. I don't quite get what I'm going through, but I praise you nonetheless. 
Um, we're going we're gonna to do Psalm 90 also. Um, a prayer psalm. A prayer psalm that just, not only is it a prayer, half of it is preparation for prayer. The first verses sort of get our heart prepared to come into the throne room of grace. And then the, the latter half is those petitions, those prayers. And it's a psalm of consolation, a psalm of comfort. You know, think about what prayer is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to bring us consolation. It's supposed to bring us to that place of comfort and peace. Uh, it's a psalm of, of Moses. And we can see his firsthand perspective in recording God's awesome work with the nation of Israel when they were going through the wilderness. So this is, uh, the, this is the scene that Moses is writing about here. And then we can make application to our lives, you know, because uh, we can see how he works through our lives and give us, gives us an, an eternal perspective, you know, and helps us, helps us get through the temporary so that we can see that God's working a, a greater thing for us. In, in the future. So jumping in, in verses 1 and 2. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So here Moses starts with a declaration of God's, of the recognition of God's character. You know, think about how our prayers should start or how we prepare ourselves to go before the Lord. You know, recognizing God's characteristics. He's our dwelling place, it says. You know, and that represents God's omnipresence. Wherever we are, He can be our home. We can be home with Him because we know that He is, he is everywhere. And as we make God our dwelling place, he provides for us those things that a dwelling place should provide. Protection, right? Peace, comfort. All of those things that we consider make a, a house a home, God gives us as we, as we declare that he's our dwelling place. And then it says the mountains were brought forth. And so that represents his omnipotence. You know, his, he's the creator of all things. So Moses is just declaring God's character here. From everlasting to everlasting, it says in verse 2. God's eternality. No beginning and no end. You know, outside of time. And so he, he's preparing his heart to petition the Lord, so he's acknowledging God's character. And this is a good pattern for us, you know, as we go to the Lord in prayer, just to, just to praise him for who he is. Then in verses 3 through 6, you turn a man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sheep, they are, they are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and, and withers. So, the first verses, the psalmist is writing of God's creative power. 
In these verses, we see God's power also, but he has also power to bring things to an end. And we have to understand our frailty and his sovereignty over the length of our days and the fact that we, our lives are in his hands. God is eternal. He is outside of time. So uh, to, to gain his perspective on time, we think about a thousand years and, and think about in God's timetable, it's like a day. You know, we think, we think in terms of days, God thinks in terms of millennia. And so, and we see, so we see his perspective there. And then in verses 7 through 12, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For soon it is cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the psalmist here considering, uh, is encouraging us to consider our sin in the light of the shortness of our life. Think about it this way. How much time do we waste in unprofitable and even destructive pursuits when we should be living for God, when we should be living for His kingdom? You know, how much time we waste in our life is short, 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 80, Moses writes. That's a short time compared to eternity. You know, we don't want to waste that. We should have a godly fear of him and regard each moment as a gift, each moment as an opportunity to glorify him. You know, think, I think of all the years that went before I even knew the Lord. And I, and I think, boy, you know, how much time I, I, how much more time I could have had, you know, in a relationship with him. And then even since knowing him, those times where I've just, I, I, I've done things that are unprofitable. And so we, we think about that. This is giving us perspective here. And, and real wisdom says, teach us to number our days that we may, we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is, wisdom is realizing that we have an eternal purpose. Wisdom is not thinking this world is all there is. Not thinking on a temporal basis, but considering heavenly things. That's real wisdom. And then we see Moses petitioning the Lord here in these last few verses. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
So as we close up the psalm, we see Moses petitioning the Lord for a few things here. First thing we see is in verse 13, return, O Lord. See, this is Moses' way of asking for forgiveness and reconciliation. What he's trying to say here is, restore that relationship, Lord. Return, my sin has separated us. I want restoration back in that relationship. So that's, that's what that prayer is. Return, O Lord. And then in verse 15, he says, Make us glad. Make us glad. He says, Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. In other words, for the, equal to the times that I've had affliction and suffering, give me joy in proportion to that, Lord. You know, if we could have just 50-50... <laughs> In our life, and not sometimes feel like it's it. There's there's more on the on the suffering side of the ledger than there is on the joy side. But just give us joy equal to those times that we suffer, Lord. That's a that's a that's a good prayer. Let your work appear in verse sixteen. Let your work appear to your servants and glory to their children. So, so God's presence, He's praying for to be evident in his life. Let me see you working, Lord. Let me have a sense that, that you, your hand is upon me, God. This is Moses' prayer. When we, when we pray for God uh, to give us a greater sense of, of him in our lives, this is the same thing. That he's on the throne no matter what. It's the same type of prayer that Moses is praying here. Let your work appear, he says. And then... The last prayer petition in this psalm and the, and the end of the psalm in verse 17, establish the work of our hands for us. Establish the work of our hands. Listen, it's one thing to have a relationship and, and to, to want that relationship restored. It's another thing to have joy in knowing that 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 God cares for us and that he wants to bless us. It's another thing to have a sense of his working in our lives and drawing us closer to him, but to be used by him. Because, you know, ultimately, he desires to use us. You know, there's, there's, there's a kingdom here that God wants us to be a part of. And so... Moses' prayer here, here is to establish the work of our hands. God, use us. Use us, Lord. Let that relationship be so that you desire to use me to do your work. Imagine, that. Imagine knowing that God is using you. And that should bring joy even more than anything else in our lives. But he won't use us. He won't use us if we have sin in our lives, that, that that relationship is not restored. He won't use us if we don't understand that there's joy that He wants to give us. And we, He won't use us if we don't sense His presence in our lives, because then we'll be going out and doing it on our own. So, in order for Him to establish the work of our hands, we need to realize who He is and realize that He wants to use us in His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we do desire, Lord, 
that deeper relationship with you. And we do ask, Lord, tonight,